Jesse. This is Bill. And this is episode two of Love Slash Birds. We were gonna do an unboxing today of my binoculars and possibly my field guide, but it did not get here. So we did a sort of unboxing and it ended up being a shadow box that I ordered for an art project I did. Um, not bird related. Not bird related, uterus related. I suppose we can cut Amazon Prime some slack. Yeah. Um, I'm officially on my vacation now. Woo! Ooh, spring break! Spring break! Time for birding! Obviously, we're very, very excited about that. So, when I was looking up bird anatomy, I came across a term called the jizz of a bird. Mm-hmm. Bill, you want to tell me about the jizz of a bird? This is spelled J-I-Z-Z, by the way. Um, <laughs> it is... This is quoting David Sibley. The overall impression you receive from the combination of subtle differences is often referred to as the gestalt or jizz from G-I-S-S, general impression of shape and size. Oh, so it's more scientific. Yeah, so what I saw was similar definition, but they did say it was from the German gestalt. And I was like, well, why don't you just call it the gestalt of the bird? Because that's what it is. Why would you call it the jizz? And let me be clear, it is... In the vernacular, it is spelled jizz, J-I-Z-Z. Well, and so me as a fan fiction writer and you as a male who was once a male teenager, I just think it's hilarious. Jizz is funny. Jizz is funny. Mm-hmm. Okay, because we watched this video from the Inside Birding series from this couple who are like ornithologists at the Cornell Lab. I mean, they're definitely at the Cornell Institute of Ornithology, mm-hmm. which is sort of the Harvard of Ornithology. It's like the Mayo Lab or the Johns Hopkins. So what are you doing? Bill just got some pepper from between my teeth. That was very sweet. This is what married people do for each other. All right. Um, so that video was talking about how there are three main things that birders should look at. One is the size and shape of the bird, which is the jizz, basically, a, a component of the jizz. Another is the movement and behavior, which is another component of the jizz. And then the third is the habitat or the surroundings. I would say that those other two play into the jizz, though. Yeah, I mean, and as I was saying that, I have like one, two, three, four, five under the definition of the jizz that I got from the spruce. We should do a count of how many times we say jizz in this episode. The jizz count? The jizz, the jizz count. And that was number one size, especially comparisons to other birds with which you're familiar. Yes. So on the video, they said, you know, they were describing a robin and they described it as smaller than a crow, but larger than a sparrow. I think that the American robin, in case we have any international listeners. Mm-hmm. We are metropolitan and worldly. The American robin is much bigger than the European robin for which the American robin got its name. But because it's such a common bird, it's often used as a comparison. Although to be honest, of the songbirds, I mean, I would say most of them are smaller than a robin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because corvids, crows are very large. I mean, all the corvids, I would say, are bigger than robins. And to be clear, that's corvids, not covids. That's right. Yes. A little, a little coronavirus humor for you. <laughs> So the second component of the jizz is the seminal fluid. No, is the shape of a bird, including its proportions. So like how long is its tail in comparison to its body? How long is its beak in comparison to the size of its head? Um, And then also in shape, there can be some distinct features, like does it have a crest or not? Or if it has an interesting shaped tail. The third one is plumage color overall. And they made uh, it clear that they weren't talking about field marks. Is that, which are more details. 
Yeah, I guess field marks would just be details beyond, beyond what, you, the jizz. What, what you would find in the more basic categories. This is stuff you could kind of catch at a glance. And as you become a more experienced birder, the goal is to make a glance and get these sort of things observed about a bird. The fourth is its movement and behavior. And the fifth is its habitat. Like, is it on the ground? Is it in a shrub? Is it in a tree? Is it in the bottom branches of a tree or the top branches of a tree? Is it in the water? That type of thing. And also like... Is it in an open field? Is it in the suburbs? Is it in the middle of the woods as well? And this kind of goes into, remember in the last episode, I was talking to Bill a lot about the the system that he goes through and he kind of hit on most of these things. So I think that he had a good understanding, a good inherent knowledge of this without maybe being able to verbalize it. So kudos to Bill well, for I knowing mean, the jizz. I do things a lot more intuitively than probably the way that you learn. But then, I mean, it's sort of exciting to me to have you learn this way because you will probably not make as many mistakes maybe as I've made. But I think that there's merit in the different ways that different people learn. Well, right. Or maybe you're a more experiential learner. Oh, yeah. More hands-on, whereas I'm more of a book learner. Well, that said, though, I mean, and we haven't really talked about this, but a lot of my bird knowledge came from when I was in, I think, about the sixth grade. And I decided that birds were my sort of hobby du jour. And Mm -hmm. I really did eat up this uh, golden book guide to American birds. Mm -hmm. And so that is sort of a basis of my knowledge, especially if nothing else, just in the sense of that I have a familiarity with most of the birds of North America because of that. I just know that I've seen it somewhere before. Yeah, because I don't have a lot of context, and I certainly didn't before you started teaching me, because I picked up things through you talking about birding over the past few years. So, do you want to talk about, like, large bird categories? Sure. Okay. So, I just, I was feeling overwhelmed, because there are lots and lots of birds. Like, how many species of birds are there? In the whole world? Yeah. Oh, boy. Correct me in the comment section, but I feel like it's in the range of, well, I was about to say 10,000, maybe less, eight, eight to 10,000. Does Sibley say anything in that guide about the number of birds in North America? According to David Sibley of the Sibley Guide to Birds, there are 923 species in North America, north of Mexico. Wow. Including United States, Canada, adjacent islands, excluding Hawaii, Bermuda, and Greenland. Okay. So there's just a huge diversity of birds. And so I wanted to, I mean, I am I am a creature of habit and I tend to put things into systems. And so I was um, sort of looking for large bird categories to put things in. And I came up with a few and I was going to read through them. Um, so we'll go to the passerines last because I wanted to talk about them in more detail. But other than the songbirds, another category of birds is the raptors, which are birds of prey, which includes eagles, owls, and hawks. Yep. And I mean, those are ones that we can see around here. But in my mind, they're very distinct from the the little songbirds. Sure. So those split apart pretty easily for me. Another category I found was water birds that Mm -hmm. live on or around the water. And that includes seabirds like penguins and gulls and waterfowl like ducks, geese, and swan. Right. And that's an interesting one because, you know, I think a lot of people think of gulls being a lot different than geese, for Mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, there's also this sort of overlapping category of fowl where there's land fowl and water fowl. Mm -hmm. And then there's the wading birds or the shorebirds. 
which yep. live in coastal habitats or um, mudflats. And those are the storks and herons and the sandpipers. Which are also extraordinarily different. Also, our cat is eating behind us. Yes, that's the orange cat. That's Murray. But a stork or a heron is 10, 20 times the size of a sandpiper. But don't they all have kind of spindly legs and... They do. They look like they live on the shore. They do. But to go back to that first category, I wanted to... Unless you have anything to say about those. And then, of course, there are, you know, parrots and hummingbirds and things that don't fit into any of the categories I've said so far. But this was a way for me to break things down to start managing things. So I wanted to go to the passerines, which are the songbirds. And basically, the, the root of their name is that they have feet adapted for perching. And they're the anisodactyl toad birds and what that means is that they have three forward facing toes with small talons and one backwards facing and that makes it really easy for them to sort of wrap around and cling to branches and so those can be horizontal those can be almost vertical so are, are chimney swifts passerine great question because their feet do the x thing right i mean by that definition they almost wouldn't be Sorry, I keep, with me like learning these things, I keep making these little connections of the things Bill's been telling me over the years. Um, like get ready for a heated episode about the chickadee contact zone coming mm -hmm. up in the future. But other characteristics of the passerine or songbirds are that they have small to medium bodies. They have a generally upright, relaxed perching posture. They're relatively vocal. Their chicks need extensive care and nurturing. They're relatively bright or distinctive plumage and markings and they have unwebbed toes and diurnal behavior, which means they're generally active in daylight, which that's another question. Um, mockingbirds, right? They're active at night. Yes, but they're also active in the daytime. Are they more active in the daytime? Yes. Okay. It's that's just, they're like 24-hour birds. That's interesting because I have experienced one of my vivid childhood memories is laying in bed and opening a window in the middle of the night during the summer and listening to a mockingbird do its repertoire. But I don't think that they're typically nocturnal birds. Okay. But maybe I can get back to you on that. I mean, my knowledge of mockingbirds comes from, I believe it's the movie Failure to Launch, in which Zoe Deschanel plays the best friend, and her quest is that she wants to kill this mockingbird that's been singing all night and keeping her awake. She wants to kill a mockingbird. Yeah, I know, I know. But her line is, what kind of devil bird sings at night? Mockingbirds do. Mm-hmm. I mentioned field marks before as something sort of beyond the jizz. Beyond the jizz. That beyond should be jizz. that should be the name of this episode. Beyond the jizz. Hashtag beyond the jizz. Yes, um, and they're the details of a bird. So they're not something that you would look at for the jizz, but they're things that be, can can be very important in terms of making differentiations, like between the Carolina wren and the house house wren? house sparrow. The no, the white throated sparrow. That's what we were oh, looking at. Oh, those are the last two time. you were looking at. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, so field marks include the eye color, the face and malar stripes, the eyebrows, the eye rings, eye lines, auricular patches. So like back on the cheek by the ear holes and the wing bars are all field markings. Mm -hmm. Wing bars can be very important. We'll get to that later. Just some general bird anatomy. I guess I'll describe and then I can always tweet my picture that I drew. But so the bird's head is made up of the crown in the back. And then there's the beak protruding the front and then it goes down to the throat. It can get much more detail than that too if you want. Mm -hmm. And then going down from the throat along the front is the chest or breast of the bird. And then as you get passed down sort of where the wing begins, it goes into the belly. Mm-hmm. 
And then the part that's mostly covered by the wings. So when they're up is the flank. Flanks, yeah. And then there's the tail. Mm-hmm. And then above the tail, so on the back of the bird now is the rump. Mm-hmm. Rump. Um, and then there's the wing. And then there's the back. And then there's the nape. Yes. And then the crest is something like that the cardinals have. It's like a little mohawk. Mm-hmm. And not all birds have a crest. And it is distinct from the crown. So it's not a part of the crown. It is a separate part of the bird. Yeah, and I would say relatively few birds have crests, which make it a great... A great part of the jizz. Or field mark. Or field mark. Although that said, very common birds do, such as the cardinal or northern cardinal Mm -hmm. and the blue jay. And woodpeckers. Well, yeah, like the pileated woodpecker Mm -hmm. and the tufted titmouse. I go over and there's Murray licking a ceramic bowl. So he's just making lots of noise for us. I go over this anatomy because I feel like I hear you talking about a lot of birds that are named for their anatomy. So there's the ruby crowned kinglet. Mm-hmm. There's the um, yellow rumped warbler. Mm-hmm. So Red bellied woodpecker. Mm-hmm which is actually very poorly named, but we'll talk about that later. Yes. And then there are these different parts of the wing, like the primary and secondary feathers. Primaries and the secondaries. And I oh, don't... boy, it gets very... The coverts and the tertials. And we don't... The, I think those yeah. are more related to physics and... Not physics. Well, how they fly and oh, why they're layered okay. that way. Okay. So, and then the legs and the feet, as we talked about. I had also wanted to talk a little bit about beak differences. Mm-hmm. So basically by looking at a bird's beak, you can tell kind of what they eat. Yep. And so I found a website that had seven categories um, that I was going to go over. So there's the carnivorous. And so that's what the raptors have. And they are strong, hooked, and they're very firmly attached. And the top of the beak goes down over the bottom of the beak. Mm -hmm. And they just look like they're made to like tear flesh, basically. Because they are. Because they are. Um, There's a granivorous or the seed eating. Mm -hmm. um, And they are short, robust, and conical in shape. Yep. And those are like cardinals have those, mm-hmm. like a seed crunching beak. Um, there's the insectivorous. Mm-hmm. And they actually described a few different ones. Like if they're trying to get from the air, they might be wider and flatter. But if they're trying to go into the ground or bark uh, penetrator, they might be straight and elongated. Yeah, now that I think about it, <clears throat> there can be quite a few different ones for insectivores. Because I guess there's a lot of different ways to get to the insects. Another type of beak is the frugivorous or the fruit eating. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of hooked on top, but not as much as the carnivorous bird. And this is like parrots have this. And Mm -hmm. interestingly, they can move the upper and lower parts independently and others can't, which, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then so other types are the piscivorous birds. They're fish eating and they describe them as large, strong, curved with a um, serrated ridges or a curved top bill to kind of keep whatever they have in place. Yeah, I mean, there's different kinds, though. I mean, actually, now that I think about it, I mean, there's birds like that are raptors, like osprey and bald eagles. But they do actually have, I would say, a little bit longer bill than other raptors, and those two being fish eaters. And the thought um, would be that they need to penetrate the ladder a little bit, but keep their eyes out of it, and so they need the longer bill than other raptors. I'm not sure. But then there are other ones that have very much more of like a long, sharp... I'm talking about non-raptors. Piscivorous, okay. so like kingfishers, mm-hmm. herons, where it seems like the length of the bill is. We'll see. I feel like I'm a lot of my element here, but like the kingfisher, like that bird is going to dive in the water and essentially pierce a fish. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and then I guess when I've seen heron hunt fish, I don't think that they actually pierce them, but they still have a very long bill with which to clasp them. And then there's also, what is the, the gull that has the gullet? Well, the pelicans have pelicans, that's, yeah. gullets, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, In which to catch fish. But they also have like a long bill with a hook on it. See, I've heard two different things. We'll talk about it. People like to hear about your about experience. pelican, which is basically one time I heard that when a fish is in their pouch, that does not connect to their throat. And so they have to sort of toss out the fish, catch it with their regular beak. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've also read somewhere that that is not true. Mm. So um, I would have to look that up. Okay, while you look that up, the two other types of beaks are on wading birds, W-A-D-I-N-G, which are described as long. Um, They can have different shapes, like they can be a spoon bill, Mm -hmm. or they can be more like a duck bill. And the point is for them to search for invertebrates Mm -hmm. in the water, but to keep their eyes out of the water. And that's why they're sort of long and they're Mm -hmm. smooth because they're like to scoop up the invertebrates. They don't have to pin them down like the fish because they're not wiggly. And then the nectivorous birds, like the hummingbirds. Oh, yes. Those are very thin, long, and then the shape of it kind of depends on the flower who's blossoming and they're entering to get the nectar. Mm-hmm. So that was um, beak shape. Um, there was a little bit about tail differences, but I didn't see how to easily apply that in terms of behavior or flight right now. So I'm going to skip talking about okay. that. We'll get to some of that. Yeah. There, there's definitely some important stuff with tail differences. Yeah, but I felt like I got a little bit overwhelmed. So I mean, what we talked about today, what we talked about the jizz and how to approach it. We talked about large categories of birds, general bird anatomy, beak differences and field marks and I feel like that's a lot Mm -hmm. so hopefully soon we will have an unboxing of my binoculars and field guide and then we'll have our first chance to go out and bird watch I'm not sure if we're going to record a little bit while we're bird watching okay yeah Bill says we are but certainly if you like the podcast you can leave comments on our podcast page on Podomatic you can also follow us on Twitter we're at lovebirds all one word no slash underscore pod so at lovebirds pod and you could you know follow us you can send us direct messages and i feel like a lot of you listening probably have my phone number so you can text us too but um if you have any corrections or any questions for need of clarification for anything please let us know i'm gonna put a few of the websites that i looked at today probably on the twitter page so he can get twitter pated um and i think the reason bill expresses hesitance is that birding there's actually a lot of like controversy and movement around and reclassifying a lot of birds going on like splitting up birds that used to be thought to be one species or putting together what used to be thought of two species of birds based on genetic testing and so it's really a i mean a lot of people think it's boring but it's a very alive part of science and something that's there's a lot of movement in lately there is a lot of splitting and lumping, but then a lot of times this is just a hobby for me and I'm in this position of being the expert on this podcast and I'm not really an expert. But you're teaching me and something But I'm doing the best about. that I can to teach Tassie what I do know. So also something you can do is leave Bill kind comments about how good it is to learn from him and how he doesn't have to know everything, but that his excitement about this is what's keeping people here and what's inspiring me to get taught about it. 
excitement about birds. Mm-hmm. I think that's it for our episode. We're going to put a little bit more time into editing this one and mm-hmm. hopefully maybe put together a little theme jingle for it. And so we hope to have it up in the next couple of days from when we record it. And also we hope to record from the field. So signing off for episode two of Lovebirds titled, um, what were we going to say? Something about jizz. Something, something about jizz. All right, this is Tassie. This is Bill. Bye.